This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Sarah, one of the co-hosts of the Recovery Podcast, and I'm dropping in your feed to give you some extra content. We are lucky to be part of a group known as the Irreverent Media Group, and there are lots of amazing podcasts that are part of that, including Speaking in Church with Spencer and Josie, two of our friends, and they interviewed Justin, the other co-host, for an episode they did a little while ago. So occasionally we're going to drop in some of the Irreverent Media Group content because we think it's a great way for you to hear all the different voices that are part of this group. So we hope that you'll enjoy Doubting Pastors with Justin Gentry, a Speaking in Church podcast. For more information on this podcast, as well as other IMG podcasts, please check out irreverent.fm, and we'll join you next week with our next episode. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And this week we are joined by our fellow irreverent media group homie, the co-host of Go Home Bible You're Drunk, the ex-pastor, ex-reverend, Justin Gentry. What is up? Hello everybody. It's so good to be here and it's it's good to be speaking in church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I mean, you're not a woman, so you know, we yeah, really, I, but it's fine. It's, we'll we'll I, allow it. <laughs> I was always allowed to speak in church. That is one thing that I was always given. So yeah, and you are allowed to um, be the speaker in the church. <laughs> you were yeah. the pastor. Yeah, I was the speaker. We want to hear all about it. All about because you are fully deconstructed now. Yes. As fully as anybody can be, I suppose. Yeah, I, I'm a full-blown deconstructed. Yes, a deconstructed. Tell us all about it. Tell us your testimony, your life story. Yeah. Oh, I, w- I would love to. Um, and feel free to stop and ask clarifying questions as we go. Cool. Uh, I, like most people that have deconstructed, I'm finding, I do have ADHD. So my <laughs> mm-hmm. storytelling style is... We're going to cover all the map. So, you know, just if you have questions, please let me know. Great. Uh, I, I was born and raised in the church. Uh, you know, definitely was in the pews very early on. And and I always liked church, probably because I was a white male. <laughs> it, you know, church always seemed to work out for me. Um, it, but it was always a safe place for me. And so there's a lot of things I didn't experience as far as a lot of the trauma that people experience. Um, You know, I, I am, I'm straight, I'm a man. And so there's a lot of those traumas that I, I just didn't experience. And that's, I think that's why it took me so long to deconstruct because there weren't 
a lot of those pressures. It was more later on hearing people's stories that began that process for me. But I was always a rebel in the sense that I was always questioning things, uh, you know, usually dumb policies, you know, there were a lot of these like homeschool families at my church where everyone had to wear like a dress. So like one of those big moo moo homeschool dresses that are, you know, mm, like, mm-hmm. and I was like, why are you doing this? Like, why, why does this, what does this have anything to do with Jesus? So I was always the kind of the person asking those questions. I didn't ever take anything at face value. Um, and so, and that, you know, that, that gets you a certain amount of street cred, I think as a pastor, you're like, Ooh, he's the edgy pastor that questions, Ooh. questions traditions and allows drums in the youth group. Drums. Yeah. Uh, but I also found out, uh, that they, there is an expectation when you become a pastor that your beliefs are kind of frozen in place. Like you're not allowed to change. Mm. Um, I think that's true for a lot of evangelical Christians, but particularly pastors, like you're not allowed to change your mind. Mm-hmm. It, like you can doubt that's fine, but you aren't allowed to like, you always have to come back. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I doubted for a weekend, but I came back and I'm here to tell you about it church. And then everyone claps and, you know, you can pass around the offering plate again, cause they'll give to that a second time for sure. <laughs> and, and then, and then, so it just kind of goes, and then it wasn't really until I started Uh, I I was in seminary and just hearing stories of people, hearing stories of LGBTQ people that aren't the Exodus International, like um, pamphlet type stories, like stories of actual human beings, Um, stories of, you know, and stories of women too. I was in a denomination that was very uh, on the surface uh, affirming of women. You know, women could be ordained in the denomination I was in. Women were allowed to speak in church but it was really curious to me that none of them, there were like, I didn't know any, I only one, any one woman pastor in our denomination. It was, it was a point of pride for our denomination that we were the first denomination to hold a meeting on women's suffrage. And we were one of the first denominations to uh, become fully abolitionists. But what denomination no, is this? This was the Wesleyan church. So uh, oh. similar to United Methodist, but there were almost no black pastors and there were almost no women pastors. So it was like, this 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 like huge point of pride for them like all of our websites and everything like but it, they didn't actually do it um hmm. and so you know which i guess is better than actively you know hating black people and actively you know um actively suppressing women's voices i guess that's, that's, that's the, the bar is really low <laughs> It's funny because Josie, the school we went to was Wesleyan. Like, and he was founded yeah. on like oh, cool. on that. And so, yeah. hearing you talk about this is funny because there's a lot of things I can think about. Like, like yeah, if you did have women like preach and they were trying to be diverse and of people of color, but like when you actually got into the nitty, especially me because I was in the school of theology, there were certain people that they were like, women can't be here, and I'm like, you're literally at. <laughs> 
a school that is founded on that principle. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, I I went to a seminary that was not Wesleyan. It was I intentionally chose it because it wasn't Wesleyan. And there were some awkward classes because there were women studying for ministry in the same classroom as men who believed that women should not be there. But Call it out. Sem- what school is this, Justin? Uh, oh, this was Denver Denver Seminary. I I enjoyed oh. Denver Seminary. It was a good school. Like I, 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 the school itself was fine. It's, it's conservative, but it's like kind of on the edge of that, uh, mm. which, which is at that time to me was like, whoa, super liberal. Cause I was yeah, very yeah. conservative. Um, but it, so that was good, but yeah, it was just very strange. Like I'm in this class, I'm sitting next to, it, it was a very weird thing. I'm sitting, there's a woman to the left of me that was training for ministry mm-hmm. and a guy on the right of me that definitely believed it was a sin for her to be there. Was the seminary like egalitarian in principle? Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was egalitarian in the sense that she, she was fine to be there. Yeah. No one saw a problem with her being there, but they except also didn't, guy. except for that guy yeah, <laughs> and, and, and a few other people too. Like it was a seminary that they're pulled from a lot of different denominations and backgrounds. Uh, there yeah. was, there was like an Orthodox priest that studied there too. That was kind of strange. <laughs> So, yeah. so it, it, I liked that it was a more diverse experience. I think it definitely set me up to leave the faith later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was that girl. So um, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so I went back to evangelicalism from seminary and that was a big shock for me because uh, I definitely had my head full of a lot of things that most people didn't care about which I kind of knew fine. I'm a theology, I'm a theology nerd, whatever. But, you know, that was around the time of things like, I don't know if you remember Chick-fil-A day. No, what? You remember this? Oh man. So the, he's dead now. The former CEO of Chick-fil-A basically said some, some, can I cuss on this podcast? Is that, um, is that absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, fig- I figured I could, but I just wanted to clear. He said some. He said some bullshit about the LGBTQ community. And oh yeah, we people, know that. There were people that yeah, yeah. were upset about that, and so like Mike Huggabee or something on Fox News declared a Chick Fil A Appreciation Day where we what? celebrate freedom of speech by going to Chick Fil A, and like <laughs> so many people at our church were like you got to go to Chick-fil-A on this day to like, cause they're trying, they're coming after our freedom of speech or whatever. And I, I remember it just being this very weird twilight zone experience for me. And there were a lot of those. There was, um, you know, several scandals during that time that just cont- And I didn't know very many gay people at the time, but it was just like, this is, there is some kind of disconnect here, which really mm-hmm. got so, I did a lot of questioning there. And then I did a lot of questioning around race too, when, you know, black men are being shot and the church I'm pastoring is like praying for the police. And it's just very like, you know, giving the police wisdom to deal with the riots. It's like, I I feel like there's a problem here. Um, And that really started me asking a lot of questions. And, but I wanted to stay this is the, the last thing to die was my optimism for the church, honestly, hmm. because I really felt like I could change it or at least I could be a, 
uh, a mediating voice, I guess, and it was certainly a self-inflated understanding of my capabilities for sure. But I thought, okay, I can be gay affirming. I can be someone who's anti-racist and I can still be in the evangelical church. And you know, that actually worked for a little while, but there just came a point where they were like, Hey, sorry, buddy. Even if you're quiet about it, even if you don't ever say anything, the fact that you even hold these beliefs in your head is dangerous to us. And we have to remove your credentials and fire you. Um, and that was, that was rough. That was really rough. Um, because I, I, I wanted to believe I could change it, but there, you just can't. And yeah. yeah. And Can I ask why you, why you went back to evangelicalism after seminary, even knowing that you had maybe differences of belief and maybe there were other denominations that fit better. Yeah. So being a, a pastor is definitely about who, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, I feel who that. <laughs> your contacts are. And that's really what it came down to. I applied to a lot of different churches. I applied to more liberal denominations, but I didn't have they don't know me. Yeah. And so it really just came down to who, you know, the phone was ringing. Evangelical churches were the ones calling me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of nepotism in pastoring. <laughs> there is absolutely. There is. Uh, and I got the jobs I got because uh, someone knew somebody who knew me and, and that it creates a very strange dynamic because it, even if you want to jump ship somewhere, it's, it's very hard. Um, and that's why and there's a certain amount of masochism. And I think, like I said, it, you know, again, I had the confidence of a mediocre white man, but you know, I'm the one that's going to be able to change this. And it just, you know, you learn that lesson the hard way for sure. Well, Justin, let me tell you, I had the same mentality and I'm a little brown girl. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought that my confidence could carry me through to change this stupid Baptist church I went to. And then eventually, I think it took, I didn't decide to leave that church until I had my ex-Mormon partner come starting to come to church with me. And I was like, this is so fucking embarrassing. I can't be here anymore. <laughs> And then I realized um, that they're never going to change. And like our uh, friend of the pod, Kevin Garcia, always says, just leave. They're not going to change. So just fucking leave. Yeah. And and that was that that was it was a hard realization for me that Mm. this thing that paid my bills for sure. uh, didn't pay me a ton, but paid my bills and provided my house and, and loved my kids for the most part, um, was not, I had to leave that. And I think that's where deconstruction is rough. I think for many people, for many reasons, I think pastors going through it feel a very, it's a very weird push pull because on the one hand, I'm Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to the church thinking, I don't even know that Jesus was God. (laughs) he might not have even existed like that's my headspace and yet i still have to get up and i have to do i have to do the i have to put on the little god hat and do the little god performance uh because that's what i'm being paid to do and i and people don't want you to question on easter sunday morning 
Yeah. Like that's not the sermon they're paying you to preach. And it, it, it is very much a, you got a paid gig and it's comedy night. They didn't come for your like spoken word, um, not funny thing. Mm. And so it, it's, it it's this very weird thing of like, I still have to fulfill this role every week. I still have to, give people what they want, even though they say, they say they want hard preaching that challenges them mm-hmm. doing the air quotes, the podcast air quotes. Um, but they don't, they don't, uh, they want something they can nod their head to and feel good about. And I don't even know, I don't even think that that's bad to a certain extent. Um, but when you're internally dying, every time you're doing it, that's, um, that sucks. That absolutely sucks. <laughs> Yeah, that's always been a fascinating thing for me is in evangelical spaces where they're like, wow, that word was good. And I was like, that word was kind of nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. He was just kind of loud in some spots and a little bit more quiet in other spots and Mm -hmm. waved his arms around a little. And you thought that, oh, my gosh, you're so deeply affected by him saying essentially that Jesus loves you. Mm -hmm. I never. Yeah. The hard hitting sermons were always the ones that were the most. not hard hitting for little Josie mm-hmm. or they're hard hitting on political topics that everyone in the room agrees. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, my, my senior pastor would go up and he would talk, you know, trash about the LGBTQ community and people would amen and be like, wow, he's really standing up for the hard truths or whatever. And I'm like, all oh, you believe this, mm-hmm. like every one of you believes this already. Like there's yeah. not no one, he didn't stand up for anything. Like he just got, he just got claps. That's he, yeah. Those were, those are the applause lines. And it, it, yeah, it's just, it is a weird, it's a weird thing. It's, it's yeah. very strange. I mean, I think it just points to the hard truth that evangelicalism does not like to be challenged in any way. They just yeah. want to exist as they've always existed. Mm-hmm. For sure. But I'm curious, where have you landed or where, not landed, I guess, but where are you right now in your deconstruction journey? You know, it's a strange thing because um, I think I've probably always been deconstructing something. Um, and even that word deconstruction, I've begun to not be sure about. <laughs> like, um, I think because it implies reconstruction at some point, but mm-hmm. I, like, like I, I did, I stopped believing in hell like 11 years ago. Like what's there to reconstruct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, am I going to go back? Like, right, what are you going to reconstruct come up with that? a new theory about it? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. 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 Come up with a new book and, or some online course or something about some online course <laughs> about my new theory about not believing in hell. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I would say if you're going to put a label on what I am now, I would say I'm agnostic. I I'm not a full, full blown atheist or whatever, but, uh, definitely don't mind atheism for sure. Um, but I still, I think I still hold, I hold out hope or I hold out, um, the possibility for mystery. Mm. I think I very much live like my politics and my interactions with people are very much from an atheist perspective. I don't care to, you know, let my personal spiritual beliefs influence how someone else should live. So that's how I vote. Um, so I guess I'm an atheist in the streets and an agnostic 
in the sheets because i still do woo stuff you know i you know i've i draw tarot cards occasionally and do very weird esoteric nonsense but hey then but that's for me that's <laughs> you know and I, you know meditation things like that. even reading the bible like i the go home bible you're drunk podcast uh, for those that don't know it's tori williams douglas and myself and we definitely make fun of we we drink and we read the bible and we typically make fun of it a lot because it's a weird book it is like there's not no two ways about it but sometimes we surprise ourselves as we're reading it and we're like you know what that part's actually really good i mean it's like any other book of literature right like the that's a good one (laughs) yeah you know jesus when he's not being filtered through paul is pretty sweet yeah amen to that <laughs> yeah like i i'm i'm down with the jc still and so uh yeah. I, I i just have to feed into that as a ex-pastor why are y'all obsessed with paul and not so much obsessed with the gospels dang hard kidding questions <laughs> um i can't tell you the last time i went to a church service in the evangelical sphere like a non-denominational church service where the whole sermon was taught from the gospels they always have to throw paul in there somewhere and i'm like mm-hmm. what's the point absolutely I agree with you a hundred percent. I I will say from a sermon prep perspective, Paul preaches real easy because his letters Mm. are, his letters are sermons. (laughs) Yeah. It is a lame ass excuse, but you know, doing a sermon series on Philippians or whatever is super easy. Mm. As someone Mm. who, uh, who went to, you know, went to school, study ministry, took us like a preaching class. Um, I honestly, so we, we had a, uh, you know, a, a sermon like assignment that had to be from the gospels. And then there was another assignment that had to be from one of Paul's letters. And I thought the gospels were way easier because I got to talk about Jesus. (laughs) And so, uh, but I understand, I guess from the, um, I don't totally understand, but I guess from the, like you said, the, the male perspective, Paul is probably a lot easier to kind of go through because there's not, there's not much in his letters that you are kind of like, Oh, I have to dig into context versus me. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, Paul, like you're, you're preaching. And then other times I'm like, Paul, what the hell? Like you didn't tell people that this was for very specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and granted people are reading his mail. So maybe it's everybody else's fault. Yes. No yes. <laughs> Private letters. Y'all. <laughs> yeah. People mail. <laughs> Yeah, I I think to the the narrative of Jesus, you keep running into weird weird stuff, like he's spitting in the ground and mm. rubbing it in people's eyes, or he's you know when he like the narratives of him walking on like the narrative of him walking on water. We just did this one on the podcast a while ago. It's weird because yeah. like he like why did he send them out there? He's walking on water. Like, you know, and it's told in all, you know, I think all four gospels do this narrative and it's a little different. It's (laughs) It's, it's obviously important, but it's different in every one. And so there's so many like little rhetoric, not rhetorical, but there's so many little places you can get lost. Mm. I think that's why Paul preaches better 
quote unquote, even though Paul says some hella problematic stuff, don't get me wrong. But I, yeah, I think you're right from a white male perspective, problematic Paul is so much easier to glaze over than problematic Jesus. No, totally. Because in America, people want concrete. They don't want mystery. I mean, that's yeah. the like one of the hugest issues, right? Is that evangelicals don't like the mystery of it all. Mm-hmm. Or even the concreteness of Jesus, because, I mean, they don't want to feed the poor either, you know? <laughs> yeah. And- so it's the poor in spirit, Josie. That's, oh. that's the... It's not the real real poor yeah the people that are literally starving not them you don't think they're poor poor in spirit actually no because um uh, in uh white missional spaces that go to the the quote-unquote third world um they're always talking about how they have nothing but they are so happy and they have so much joy to them so i guess yeah they wouldn't think that that's the the poor in spirit so so we have to give them jesus yeah exactly they don't need food they need jesus not to be a nerd but i'm just gonna give everybody a little lesson right now about the third world Let's go for it. It bothers. No, this is what it's not like. It bothers me because people are like, "Wow, Mexico is like a third world country," and I was like, "Um, did you know that first, second, and third world refers to where people stood on World War II lines, like who's with who or what?" Anyways, that's my little. Google it. It doesn't mean poor. It doesn't mean impoverished. It means alliances. Anyways, yeah. I just wanted. You guys, I have a cold in the age of COVID, so don't judge me. I'm just a little bitter about everything. <laughs> no, but I, I had a scratchy throat um, like a week or two ago. And yeah, it's like you get a little bit of the sniffles now. Yeah. Like, this could be the sniffles or mm-hmm. I could die, which I yeah. guess was always true. Always. <laughs> but it's in the age of COVID, if you and I'm fully vaccinated, but it's still like I'm gonna be that one fucking person that dies in the hospital. The most awkward thing is um I'm growing a human and people that have never grown a human don't like know that like you have runny nose and like mucus buildup all the time. Mm-hmm. And like people just don't talk about it because it's gross. So yeah, like I like blow my nose all day and people are like what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't have COVID. Like, I swear to you, leave me alone. I actually did not. I had no idea that you just had a perpetual runny nose as a pregnant person. Yeah. Mucus builds up all throughout your body. So. Wow. Uh, what a <laughs> tangent, everybody. Anyways. No, I, I have, I, I, I'm a, I'm the parent of three children. So I did not, I was not part of the birthing process. So other than I was present, Uh, present. but yeah, I am well aware of the mucus and the things. Um, Yeah. Honestly, this is getting a slightly back on track learning about pregnancy Mm -hmm. made me much more pro-choice than I probably should have ever been as a pastor. Whoa. Okay. I need to know all about this right now. Yeah. Well, I just, I, when you start learning about things, like how many pregnancies end in miscarriage, which is like a lot, <laughs> which is the vast majority really. Yes. I mean, they don't have a hard number, but the vast majority of, and my, my partner, she had a miscarriage as well. And she's open about that. I can share that. Um, we had a miscarriage at one point and it was super early on and 
like we, neither of us really felt any emotional attachment at that point. It was, you know, it was just kind of like, we'll just keep trying. We already had one kid at the, and some people struggle for a long time. I don't want to make light of that, but it was just yeah. for us. And so the more I learned about pregnancy and the development of fetuses and bodies and how many fertilized eggs don't just don't make it. So it's mm-hmm. you know, 75%, I think is one of the estimates. It's like, okay, wait a second here. If I've been taught my whole life that the second sperm and egg unite, there's a soul there Shit. and almost the vast majority of those, like, just don't make it, you know, yeah. no outside intervention at all. No, not an abortion, not anything, you know, and some, you don't like, like some women don't even realize, yeah, like they don't even know so they, some like, for people that don't know the science, there are some women that think they're having a period, but they're actually having a miscarriage because it happens so quickly. And yeah, and we never, we never think about things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so yeah, there's a lot of, I appreciate you bringing it up because yeah, there's a lot of science. And as somebody who is carrying a human and has been pro-choice for years, like there's a lot of scary things about pregnancy that, uh, that comfort of knowing that I have agency over my body is, is good, you know, good to have. Yeah, yeah that's so one. I, oh no, Justin, you go. You're the no, guest. No, you're fine. This is this is speaking in church, and you should speak. <laughs> go I was going to say that's one lasting remnant of like shame that I have, and it's not really shame. It's more of like a I don't want to fucking deal with this. Is because I am a disabled human, and getting pregnant is not really the greatest option when you have chronic pain. Like Lord knows, pregnancy is already difficult enough when you're healthy. Um, I don't, it's hard because there's people, most people I can say like, yeah, they asked me if you were to get pregnant right now, what would you do? And I was like, oh, I would have an abortion immediately. Like that's not an option. But then when like my parents ask, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, dad. I'm just going to kill your grandchild. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I still have some, it's not really shame. It's like a consciousness of my parents are going to hate me. Yeah. Oh man. That's hard. That's hard to carry. Like, yeah, it's the, and this is what I found. I think we, we do this when we, when you grow up in conservative circles and you know, my experience as a pastor, you start accumulating these secrets. Mm. Like I was secretly pro-choice and secretly an evolutionist and secretly, um, a Democrat and, you know, like, secretly, you know, like probably the worst of them all. Oh yeah. That was the worst (laughs) for sure. Um, and, and, and the thing is though, like I would hear my, you know, the people in my church would bash Obamacare and I'm like, y'all don't pay me enough for insurance. And I'm definitely on Obamacare. Oh, most, yeah. pastors, yep. most pastors in our, denom- in our conservative denomination are thanking God for Obamacare, no matter what they say publicly. Mm-hmm. And so there were, you just start accumulating all these secrets of, mm-hmm. and these, you know, things you can't be, can't be honest about. And I, and I, I was honest about some of them, but you know, or if students would come to me, my last position, I was a youth pastor that, you know, I just got fed up with teaching adults. So I taught students. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, and it was actually, it was fantastic. Um, and, but yeah, I would talk to students like you can totally believe in evolution. Like, 
That's right. Don't, don't listen to your mom. Don't listen um, to your mom. Keep it on the DL. Don't tell her I told you. But <laughs> yeah, don't tell her I told you this. But the Earth was not created in seven literal days. <laughs> and isn't it like so much more of a beautiful thing, evolution? Anyways, like to, yes. in my head, I've always thought like, how much more creative is that? Like the process and like the like as a painter, like you every stroke, every stroke, you know, like as opposed to and bam, there you go. Like there's very little thought in just uh, my first summer working at a church camp that displayed themselves as progressive, but was secretly conservative. (laughs) LOL. Um, (laughs) It was in Seattle, Washington, very progressive, non-church place. Mm. And I was, I was talking to some other girls that were working there and we're having this conversation about evolution. And I, I was talking about, I was like, yeah, I think it's so cool that it wasn't like seven literal days. Like literally the Bible even says like, you know, like a day to us is like a thousand years to God. Like there's just so much like freedom in that. And it's really cool. And this girl that wasn't even in the conversation just overheard us like butts in and she literally said um no like for god to be all powerful and sovereign and to carry the weight that he does like seven literal days and i was just like imagine like what really a small just, view of god honest literally i'm like imagine just really saying like god you're not powerful unless it was seven days like dang like that must suck to be you (laughs) but it's true like evangelicalism is so conditional in all things and love of neighbor and love of god everything is so conditional we love you and accept you unless you're gay unless you're a democrat unless blah 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 blah. and god is if you i can't fit you in this box if i can't like you can't be mysterious at all because otherwise i can't love you because love has to be conditional Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. And that's the box that you have to preach and teach from. Like you, you cannot Mm -hmm. stray from that box. You can't stray from that script. And, and you lose, and you lose, you lose everything when you, I, I, I know there are pastors that don't believe it, but you know, they, I'm, I was fortunate if my kids were young enough, but like if I had teenage kids, in a school system that they liked mm. or, and, or my retirement was at a really good spot. You better believe I would have kept my mouth shut. Probably <laughs> like yeah. I, it, and that's, and that's, I don't even know that that's certainly a lack of integrity on the part of pastors that do that, but I'm also like the financial pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can't blame you. You know, there becomes a point where it's like, you're making a, a financial decision. You're making a safety decision for your family. And so it's a system that traps people so much, uh, you know, like you get this parsonage, which is really great, quote unquote, but they also pay you less. So if you wanted to Mm -hmm. leave, you lose your house, you Mm -hmm. don't have enough money for a down payment for another one and you lose your income. So you better believe I'm going to be real careful and I'm going to toe the line. And, and that's, that's a shitty place to be. It is such a shitty place to be. Um, and I, I, part of what I want to eventually do is to create tools and create ways for pastors to get out mm. and, and ways for pastors to deconstruct while they're still in that are professionally helpful. Mm-hmm. There was, I remember, I remember this, there was a student that came in my office and, you know, he said, Justin, I don't, I don't know that I believe in God anymore. And if I was being quote unquote honest with him, I, I was at that point in my life, I was like, yeah, kid, 
I don't know if I do either. Is what I wanted <laughs> to say. But then it's like, okay, I am being paid to do this job. And I have to see this kid. This kid isn't my friend. They're, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, really, they're a client. Mm. And so how do I do the pastorally professional thing while still being honest? I'm not going to feed them bullshit. That's wrong too. But how do you walk them through that? And without letting your deconstruction stuff seep in and confuse people and hurt people, you know, that's if they wouldn't have fired me, I probably should have left because everything I was saying was hurting people or confusing them. Mm. You know, they want me to preach Jesus died on the cross for your sins because you're ugly and a piece of shit, but God loves you anyway. Like that's what they wanted to hear. And that's just not where I was at. <laughs> like mm-hmm. love is abundant and free everywhere. You know, like, so we don't need the pageantry of a cross yeah. to get it is where I was at. But, um, you know, that just confuses to people and hurt people. Uh, cause I was just at a different place. You know, there's a Alan Watts quote, where it's, you know, there's a monkey and he says, kindly, let me help you not drowned. Said the monkey taking the fish up the tree, like, mm. like, let me help you not drown, even though like, this is your home I'm taking you out of. And so like, I, I need to be the person that's over here. You need to be, be the people over there. And how do I extract myself responsibly uh, without doing harm? Mm-hmm. Um, it, even though I think it's a system that perpetuates abuse for sure. It's one that I would love to just take a torch to and destroy forever. Um, but there's people in that building and I got to be careful on how I get myself out and not, and not do more damage. Um, definitely a big on harm reduction now. So that's, that's, it's a weird place to be for sure. Yeah. But I think the dream of creating a system that helps people get out is a very responsible dream. <laughs> That's a weird yeah. way to put it, but it's very like um, restorative, especially having been part of the system, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it just seems like, I don't know. seems great to me. Let me yeah, know if you need help. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause you can't get a job anywhere. Exactly. You have no qualifications for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, don't you have, me. you have, <laughs> Well, you have skill sets that are useful in the corporate world and in business. Like, how do you market it? (laughs) Yeah. Like no one, like if I put discipleship on a resume, Mm -hmm. that doesn't do anything for sermons, preaching, like even saying the word pastor, I changed my resume to where I called myself the youth director or director of of youth programming. Mm which technically wasn't my title, but I started getting a lot more hits on my resume just by removing all religious terms off of it whatsoever. Uh, because then like, Oh, he was a nonprofit worker in, you know, and then by the time you get to the interview, sure. You got to come clean on that. You can't lie, but you've already, you're already in the door now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can explain and you, yourself. And you yeah. only, you know, like because churches are considered nonprofits, you didn't technically lie. You just, omitted what the organization was you know which Mm -hmm. a lot of people do when they're looking for jobs so yeah um and yeah like you said i have uh i have two separate resumes i have what i call my professional resume and i have like my spiritual resume so if i'm applying for places that are like you know like nonprofits or like churches that like understand like how things work or the lingo i'll send them that one if i'm applying for like 
my desk job, I work in higher education. I have one that's very much detailed towards that. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in ministry like need help on how to do that. Because when I first started to do that, I had no clue of like, what is transferable from my time as a church camp pastor to now trying to be in like a quote unquote professional world. Like, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's skill sets like that skill sets in not being the leader um you know i was talking with uh somebody last week about that the you're used to walking in the room and being the leader mm-hmm. everywhere you go and in the corporate world that is especially your first job <laughs> yeah you're not you you're as a 30 some year old former pastor, I was fighting college students for positions mm-hmm. or for, for graduate, you know, recent graduates from college. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, you are the bottom of the totem pole. No one cares about the way you're going to innovate this corporate space. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you've got to learn how to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. We're just succumbing to the capitalist monster. <laughs> <laughs> When, when kind of thinking about, you know, this transition of now being out of, are you completely like out of religious spaces or do you and your, your spouse like still kind of participate? Um, we were actually, she and I were talking about this today. Last, the last church we went to, both of us thought we're very happy that this place is here, mm-hmm. but it's not for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was an incredibly affirming uh, church here in Columbus, like wonderful pastor, great people. Like I had nothing negative to say about it other than we both felt very strongly. Like this is just not for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad this is here for all the people that are here, but this is, you know, they're not, they're not serving up what I'm needing right now. So, you know, and I'm definitely in spiritual spaces, you know, the irreverent media, you know, works in those spaces, but I'm more on the post spiritual Mm -hmm. post church side of it. Um, I, I have respect for people that can maintain progressive Christian values. Absolutely. I just, that's not me. Um, progressive Christianity was a great home for me for a while. Mm-hmm. I definitely needed that. And I think some people are fine just to like leave conservatism into a more progressive space and that's where they land. Great. Awesome for you. I just, I, my momentum just kept me right off the edge there. <laughs> and, and so I'm mostly out of those spaces now. Coming from, um, you know, you said you're born and raised in it. I'm assuming your spouse probably similarly born mm-hmm. and raised in yeah. it. Um, so as someone who is preparing to be a parent in progressive Christian space, how does that change your parenting of something that you were raised in? And I'm Mm -hmm. sure it was foundational to how you were parented. Now, what does that Mm -hmm. look like for you guys? Yeah, I, I would, I say I got very lucky, uh, both, both of us, you know, Lindsay's my spouse, you know, both of us were very lucky that we both deconstructed on roughly the same time frame, mm-hmm. not everybody gets that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of times deconstruction leads to divorce or tons of tension in a marriage. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. I, and I say I was lucky cause that's what it is. It was just, it happened to be luck that we both took the same journey. And that was, you know, so having someone that is with you in that 
changes the dynamic for sure. Cause you don't have one fundamentalist parent and one, you know, Mm-hmm. It's very agnostic parent. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly, it's, it is, I, in some ways I'm envious of my kids be, in, in the sense that they are, they get to make those choices. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter is eight and she was, she was asking me, she's like, oh, are you a Christian? And I was kind of explaining like, no, I don't, not really, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. Um, but she's like, but you were, when you were a kid, I was like, yeah, I, you know, I just telling her, I don't think I really have, a, I don't have a choice. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had a choice, but that was the thing that was presented to me as mm-hmm. the only option. And she's like, Oh, she was like, I don't like that. She, she's like, I, I think I want to be a pagan. That's what I want to be. <laughs> and I was like, great, great. Be a pagan. Like, like, how do you want to do that? She's like, well, it's because I love nature and I love a lot of gods. I don't really like one. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, and I think being able to just say the, like the yes and as a parent mm-hmm. and, and ask them and answer the questions they're asking. Cause she says she wants to be a pagan, but honestly it's just cause she loves animals and <laughs> she, I think they have better artwork. yeah truly so you know that could and we also our neighbor across the street is uh, pagan-ish as well and she Mm -hmm. hangs out with her her kids a lot so great you know um and i like that i don't have a like oh my gosh i'm afraid for her soul Mm -hmm. kind of reaction i'm able to just have a conversation with her about it Mm -hmm. so i think that that's definitely changed my parenting in the i'm not trying to police their beliefs other than be kind treat other people as you would want to be treated which is every religion philosophy in the world um and you know we we put people first and and we love everybody and so I think that has given a lot of freedom. I think when it comes to things like sex and sexuality and, you know, those are conversations that we're having, you know, and that's, that's more just unfamiliarity. The script I was given is I, I can, I can tell and I can give her an abstinence message any day of the week because it's just mm. useless knowledge in my head at this yeah. point. Um, but navigating those things is, is different, but it's also been super freeing because we have been able to, you know, I'm not, you know, we call things by the names they're called, you know, and my kids talk about penises and vaginas all the time. Yes. It's, 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 it's absurd. They're kind of obsessed with them because we, our newest kid is, uh, he's a little baby boy. So he has a penis. And like the first time I changed my diapers, my girls were like, like very fascinating. What is that? That's different. Like, that's a penis. Um, and you know, I mean, they've seen me too naked. So they, they, they understand academically what it is, but this is the first one they've been able to like really stare at and <laughs> really stare at, you know, and, but I'm not, there's not, I'm not touching shame to that either because mm-hmm. I'm yeah. understanding that oh man i could i'm like more things are coming to me about parenting um no i i, I just i, I just that. no I'll, i just have one more thing to say because yeah. i think i think i think deconstructing and parenting are very i think that's one of the most freeing things being deconstructed is the way that i parent mm-hmm. and i think it's i'm not attributing my kids behavior to a sin nature mm. 
there were so many sermons that I sat through where a pastor would kind of jokingly talk about like, oh man, kids, even when they're just a week old, you can see that sin nature coming out. They just want and they need or whatever. I've always hated that. And yeah, I hated it even when I believed in a sin nature. But again, you study child development for, you do a mm-hmm. Google search. I don't even call it study. Just mm-hmm. read one article on early childhood development. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's the one way they know how to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. And the babies that cried were probably the ones that were attended to. It's an mm-hmm. evolutionary adapt adapt because I would forget. Like if my kids didn't cry and scream as infants, I might forget them somewhere. Mm-hmm. So like this is how they get their needs met. And yeah. it's the only way they know how. And so it, so being an attentive kind parent and understanding that this little human, they've only been a human for like nine months. Like they don't, they don't have their shit yeah. together. Mm, and so there's, I, no, treat, there's no sin in that. Yeah. There's not sin in that. They're just, they don't know. And that's been super freeing as well to just, it, it still sucks. Waking up late at night sucks. It, you know, like this, the suckiness doesn't change at times, but there's a, a lot of more levity in the, this is just them being a little early human. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Um, so that's, yeah, there's, there's so much good, I think, in deconstructing a lot of these ideas that, you know, evangelicals think sound great. Um, but honestly yeah. are harmful. I yeah. think my kids will be much more adjusted because I won't teach them that they're inherently bad. Like, Mm -hmm. like when you, like exactly what you said, like if you know anything about early childhood development, which I think if you're going to be a parent, you should. Um, yeah. Like even when they're like three, four years old, when things, you know, they can start to make choices that are quote unquote bad. A lot of it is still just brain development and not understanding of sharing or taking turns or waiting like Mm -hmm. that stuff needs to be learned it's not sin like truly want to be able to teach my kids like you know what's sin like punching somebody for no reason or like murdering someone like or being abusive to animals like that's sinful stuff but Mm -hmm. like dang like your brother made you mad you got in a fight like that's not a sin like that's just that's relationship that's Mm -hmm. that's like conflict development that you were learning because of the way your brain works like that's okay. And we're going to learn not to do that, but I understand the impulse. Yes, exactly. Totally understand. Like, <laughs> like address them exactly where they are because of development and not just be like, you do that because you're bad and you need more Jesus. Like, yep. No. And I think it's so much better for relationships between parents and their kids because how many of us have such damaged relationships with our parents because they think that we're just a bunch of little sinners for deconstructing our faith. Yeah. I mean, my dad and my mom are, I'm pretty sure they're very concerned that I'm going to go to hell. Even though I say up and down, like, mom, I mean, I think, walk because I don't believe in hell. I'm like, mom, I think, I think I'll see you there. I think I'll see you in heaven. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll, don't worry. I'll be there. And they don't believe me, but it's harmful. Like, I don't like that my parents think that I'm going to hell and continue to remind me that I'm going to hell for my beliefs i mean they don't like say you're going to hell all the time but you can tell that they're thinking it you know they look at you a certain way yeah it does create tension Mm -hmm. for sure i had when i 
came came out to my mom <laughs> you <can't>. that, <laughs> that i was i didn't identify as a christian anymore it was it was a difficult conversation you know mm-hmm. it's like a long conversation and um it, and it i don't think i i appreciate that it's not strained our relationship too much but i'm very thankful that my kids will not have to go through that mm-hmm. with me mm-hmm. and you know that's that's a gift I can give them that I will probably not receive from my parents. And I'm okay with that. I'm, you know, I'm an, I'm an adult now. I can, I'll deal with that, but it it, it sucks when you're like, yeah, you think I'm going to this imaginary place that I don't believe in. And it's it's hard and family funerals are hard. Uh, yeah. Because you know, they're the last funeral I went to, they really tried to make it happy. Like, you know, why are we crying? They're with Jesus. And maybe they are, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I hope so. You know, I, I, I hope so. I, I, I'm optimistic of an afterlife. But it doesn't make it any less sad that they're not here. (laughs) I won't see them for maybe, I I hope I live for another 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. So that's 50, 60 years. I won't see them. That's sad. We should be sad about that. And uh, Jesus himself like grieved, even though he knew he was going to bring his friend back to life. So I don't understand why people act like that we should just throw a party instead like it's weird it's weird yeah (laughs) Yeah. i had a cousin tragically pass away in 2020 i don't even remember anymore i'm so tragic yeah you remember thank you for remembering for me and my mother threw this big hullabaloo at his like funeral like at the church or whatever and to the point where my cousin's mother had to comfort my mother, which is very embarrassing that the mother of the, yeah. And I knew exactly what she was thinking. Ryan, my partner was like, oh, your mom is really upset. And I was like, no, she's crying because she thinks that my cousin is in hell. And that's why she's so distraught. And granted, my dad and I had just had this really beautiful conversation. My dad's a lot more liberal than he would like to admit. I mean, he's pretty liberal politically, but, you know, religiously or whatever. He was like, I think I think the Lord offers you one last chance in the end. Like, I think I think we'll be fine, Uh, which is very Mormon of him. I've come to now learn because my partner's ex-mormon he's like mormons don't go to hell you have to reject god to his face to go to hell (laughs) so nobody goes to hell (laughs) and so my i come off this conversation i'm pissed off i'm standing there trying to tell my mom like because and this is the real narcissistic part of my mother where she's like i didn't save him which is a very evangelical thing right it's like i don't have the reassurances because i didn't save him which is so fucked up. I don't know. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And like, it's a loss of his agency and choice. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, you know, surely he would have been convinced by me had Mm -hmm. I tried hard, you know, like. No, because he grew up with my parents who were assholes or my mother was an asshole who judged everybody because they were drinking and dancing. So I don't think Uh, that you would have been able to convert him, mother. Oh, wow. (laughs) I think you were not it. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. So it creates this weird cycle of guilt and, and also emotional 
stunted emotional development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, I remember sitting with students talking about emotional development and willpower and the brain and, you know, tacking on, here's another great thing. I, this is kind of full circle with Paul. You can make Paul say whatever you want. So if I want to like talk to students about brain development, cause I think that's important, but I'm in a system that I have to tack a scripture on. Like mm-hmm. Paul is super easy to be like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> brain developments in the Bible, everyone, you know, thanks Paul. Uh, but yeah, sitting down with them and talking about like emotional maturity mm-hmm. and, you know, how do you deal with your emotions and, you know, the development of your brain and whatnot. Um, super helpful for them. Like they talked about it for months afterwards, but I had, I had an adult volunteer that was like, Oh man, you got to preach that Bible. I was like, the Bible is not helping these kids right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but l- learning about like how to manage their emotions and, and why they mess up, you know, they're like, you know, those one kids talking about like his, his porn, porn addiction, whatever. Oh, poor kid. You know, quote unquote. And I'm like, so, you know, he's telling me when he looks at pornography, he's like, well, it's usually cause I've, you know, I'm on my phone from like 1am till 4am. And then I'll look at porn. I was like, that's because you don't sleep. Yeah. Like you have no willpower whatsoever. And I'm like not shaming him for porn, but it's like, just go to bed. Yeah. And that will solve your porn problem because you'll probably have a little bit more willpower. Your porn problem. Or, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like trying to speak your yeah. you know, porn problem. Um, you know, it's, it, I guess, anyway, we could talk about that for two, but, um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, if you're, you know, it's just, you have no willpower at the end of the day because you've spent it all on mm-hmm. school and whatever. And then you're up till g- God awful, whatever, watching, you know, TV. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you feel lonely and anxious and you, you know, you look at porn. Yep. Like, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's, you know, go to bed. And he's like, Oh man, magically cured. You know, now I'm doing better in school because you've got sleep because you're tired. <laughs> I, I slept more than an hour and my whole life changed. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I've got parents like, why are you talking to kids about sleep? It's like, cause Jesus isn't going to save them if they have no sleep. Like you I don't, slept. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes slept. solutions are real easy. Everybody yeah. less spiritual, yeah. more physical. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's wild, like how much, even just a little bit of, you know, just basic understanding of the body and the brain is, is mind blowing to some evangelicals. Cause it's like this, this the Bible is the only, it's their only book and it, it, it's a terrible science book. Um, yep. Knowledge is a miracle that people don't want to accept from the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Like you get all these years of scientific developments that you did not have to do, but you fully benefit from and you don't want to accept it. It's like my parents wanting to pray over my uh, torn ACL so I wouldn't have to have surgery, a very routine surgery. You know, the orthopedic surgeon does it five times a day. I'm pretty sure I'll be fine, everybody. I'm pretty sure it's okay. Just a quick little fix. Thank you, Lord, for medicine. Amen. Hallelujah. End of discussion. (laughs) Well, Justin, we have loved having you. Thank you so much for joining us. That's been a good time. Um, Tell us, plug all your things. We we know your podcast. Tell us all about it. I do. Uh, Go Home Bible. You're drunk. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Go Home Bible. If you want to just get like a little little taste of what you're doing uh, before you download. Uh, We're on all the 
you can download the podcast anywhere. It is, it is a podcast where we, you know, we read the Bible, we dust off our old crusty Bibles that we haven't looked at <laughs> forever. And, and it's looking at the Bible through a lens of someone who used to really enjoy it. And maybe now as a few years removed from evangelicalism. And so seeing it in a new light, most of the time we are, you know, just calling out its absurdities. But at the same time, we do try to very much give the Bible credit where it's due mm-hmm. and in places where it is brilliant and it is subversive. So it's not totally trolling the Bible, but it, we also do a lot of trolling mm-hmm. the Bible. Um, <laughs> so there's that. And that's uh, with Tori Williams Douglas, like I had mentioned before. And we have guests on as well occasionally. Uh, we're going to have a few more guests on the show. And yeah, we're very excited about that. I I am also on the Twitters, Justin the Gentry. If you want to see, you know, my random thoughts on things uh, here and there, uh, but also I've got a couple of things I want to do with pastors and such. I'm not quite ready to talk about that in too much detail, other than that's something that is definitely uh, something that I I want to begin resourcing people with, and that'll be forthcoming in the next several months. So follow along on Twitter, everybody. Yep. How great. Spencer, where can the people find us? They can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. They can find Josie at Josie Takes the World. And they can find me at Spence Rose. All right, friends. As always, stay woke and get woke. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.